Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Let's Talk Assassin's Creed, your number one podcast for all things Assassin's Creed. In this episode, we are continuing with our personal deep dive into the Assassin's Creed universe. Last week, we went over Assassin's Creed 1. Today, we're going to go over Assassin's Creed 2. And would you be surprised, we are lucky to have Josh again. Hello, buddy. Hello, thank you for having me back. And you seem louder than last time. Oh, it's because my head's at full blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Oh, I'm glad to have you. You're one of my best mates. And I'm actually thankful a fellow podcaster, Visions of the Past, taught me Anchor, or this would never have been possible. Well, there you go. Shouts out to everyone. And you're one of my best mates as well, so there you go. And before we kick off... Um, I would like to give another shout-out. I love doing these. It makes it so special today. <laughs> uh, this topic is one of the most um, big topics in the Sanskrit universe. Everybody loves Sanskrit too. So do I. But one of the points I will make near the end, I was worried that my viewpoint would come across wrong. So I reached out to a server run by the ones who came before. It's a community of fans who literally do tons of knowledge and news about Assassin's Creed. And I got some of their team to actually help me write a script. So giving them a shout out as well. Shout Hope out they to love them. Me for it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive in. Assassin's Creed 2. Where do we begin? <laughs> Where do we begin indeed? I think there's a lot to uh there's a lot to unwrap with this one. Um, why don't I let you start us off and we'll naturally move on and flow through. Ooh, I like the sound of that one. <laughs> Just get my cup of tea ready. Oh, I've run out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Assassin's Creed 2 was a game that, from my research, wasn't supposed to happen. Assassin's Creed 1 looked like it was there, and if it flopped, it flopped. But it didn't. And Assassin's Creed 2 did something that not a lot of game developers do. They took what was wrong about Assassin's Creed 1 and what was right and made it better. Where most developers just focus on what was wrong to make good, these guys focused on what was right as well as wrong, and it literally is one of the best gameplay games. Stealth was a bit better. The AI was a little bit smarter, but who the heck puts wanted posters in the middle of a roof? I do not know. <laughs> I like to meet the men that were brave enough to do that. Not a lot of credit goes out to them. So <laughs> so would I. Uh, one of my personal chuckles of the series has to be the NPC dialogues, especially when you're running up a big-ass tower and they run and go, oh, he must be drunk. Yes, mate, when I'm hammered, I'm climbing the awful freaking tower. <laughs> no, I'm just skillful. But all aside, it's such a cool gameplay mechanic loop. You know, we had swimming because apparently Altair couldn't swim. Poor, <laughs> poor Altair. Never taught to swim. <laughs> um, I don't know where to go from there. I think you touched on a on a good point. I think you know it did fix you know most of what I thought was wrong with the first game. You know, it took what the first game started and really used it to build something bigger, 
bit more involved and I think all around a bit more fun. Um, you know, and it was all, it was great to see them build on that. We liked Assassin's Creed 1, then we got Assassin's Creed 2, and then we were able to see what the kind of franchise was really capable of in terms of, you know, getting those issues ironed out, but also not just dismissing all the great things about Assassin's Creed 1, keeping some of those and adapting further on those. So I think it was a very, you know, good... I think I feel like they started designing this game by looking at what they did wrong in the first one. Which, when you look at uh, sequels for movies, for books, for games, you always know sequels never hit as hard as the first game. And it's a surprising tactic to see a game that was supposed to be Prince of Persia hit the market harder than Prince of Persia did, and a sequel doubled all that, which has to be a record for games, surely. Yeah, I think so. It's, you know, I, th- I think what what they did, which I thought was good, was I think mechanically it's pretty similar to Assassin's Creed 1. In terms of the overall feel, how it works, you know, a few differences, obviously, as they get better at what they do, yes, the free running element of it is slicker, you know, it's smoother, less prone to random jumps that send you to your inevitable death. <laughs> Although, disclaimer, that will still happen from time to time. That does still happen. That will always happen in Assassin's Creed games. Eventually, you will jump somewhere you're not supposed to jump and it will kill you. <laughs> but I think in this, it certainly felt like less of an accident and more down to player accident. <laughs> But then again, what we talked about, they took the good things as well. You know, just the the amount of choice then that they introduced, just in the weapon system. You know, Assassin's Creed One, it was your sword and it was your hidden blade. Now, Assassin's Creed Two, yeah, of course you have your trusty hidden blade and you can use swords, but then you've got daggers, knives, hammers. You know, then they introduced the double blade, poison, throwing knives, and the hidden gun. It's all stuff that makes it more fun and more engaging. Stuff we liked in the first one has been built on and they've given us just more of the fun stuff. And I can't say anything bad about that. If you give me more fun, I'm going to be happier. So there you go. I think another thing that surprised me the most about Assassin's Creed 2 was the story. Because when you strip away all of Assassin's Creed... What you left is a bog standard redemption, revenge type story. It, that is really it. He wants revenge for his parents' death. In turn, he redeems his own nature from being a cocky playboy to be a wise assassin who will eventually go on to leave a brotherhood, find Altair, one of the greatest mentors. And that's the kind of story you see in a lot of films and books. And if someone said to you, you play as a guy who wants revenge and then adapts and redeems himself from Playboy, you kind of think, meh, we've seen it, we've had it before. But when you actually play it, it's a lot more because it's instantaneous. You see the parent's death and you suddenly feel his reaction. He isn't suddenly a piece of cardboard. It's like, oh, he's dead. You suddenly see in the animations of how distraught he actually is. And at that moment in the story, you feel 
connected a little bit more and then when you first get the robes you feel a bit more connected and then it just immerses you more and more and you forget it's a bog standard revenge story you just get so immersed in the history the story and come on who doesn't want to jump off a hay bile and well, stab folk that's, that's th- even that's better <laughs> touch on a very important point there which you know talks of what ubisoft themselves are capable of it's it is a pretty bog standard if you look at it on paper the story is nothing we haven't seen before in films in tv series in in other games but it's how they tell that story how they present that story but also how they use the side characters and the settings that they're in to help tell that story as well and i think it all automatically just because of how they've done it the story's more engaging you said we see, we get to see, feel, experience this evolution of Ezio from being this kind of scared, doesn't understand teenager to this near invincible demigod <laughs> that, that's intent on getting revenge and breaking apart this conspiracy that ultimately took his family from him. And I just think it just it, more more so than the the first game the story is just a lot more engaging and i think it helps that Ezio is he's a more entertaining protagonist you know he's livelier and just generally a more charming personality than altair was that's not to say i didn't enjoy altair for different reasons but it's hard not to like Ezio. i think one of the moments you start liking it i'm trying to remember closely because it's been so long and I haven't had a chance to touch the Ezio collection yet is the scene on the bridge where he's fighting mm. the other family um, when he jumps out that woman's yeah. bedroom <laughs> that shows a play by but it does something that I think some fans are forgetting and I wish they would remember and that is not all assassins mm. are born assassins when you talk to people these days, they expect Assassin's Creed to have assassins off the book, like Altair. But as you see Vezio, he wasn't an assassin. No one trained him to be an assassin. He just was a cocky kid, player, I'll do whatever I want, family dies, and he takes up the mantle himself. So he's a self-proclaimed assassin. His family never took him in. And I would like to see more fans who love these type of games realizing that even if a game doesn't have assassins in them it's not the title it's the behavior and the nature that makes him an assassin as well and their ideology and he had all that before he was anointed into the brotherhood i think it, it I think which is a weird reminds thing. me of like a quote where i think the first half perfectly describes Altair and the second half perfectly describes Ezio. Some are born into greatness and others have greatness thrust upon them. That does fit and very well, actually. They're two, they're two very different sides to what is essentially the same coin. And it just shows that maybe as games evolve, we could get another playboy, it doesn't have to be the same, but another assassin figure who isn't born into the brotherhood who isn't an assassin by nature because we had Mm. edward who was exactly like connor you know brash cocky does what he wants something happens and he 
joins the Brotherhood. And I think that formula works just as well as any game where it is bog standard. You are the assassin, like Altia. Here's your hood, here's your go at it. The birth of from nothing to greatness feels a lot more of an accomplishment than greatness to more greatness, which is why I think at the time I loved the Ezio trilogy, which we'll go on to the other two games separate, but to see him go from nothing to great by the end of two to even greater by the end of three to a legend by Revelations. And it's, prob- and it's probably why, that's it's, perfect. why it's more kind of engaging in a sense of he does he starts off with nothing. So you're learning these skills as a gamer, as playing the game, you're learning how to do this thing at the same time that the character itself is learning how to do them. If you start off the game with someone like Altair, who is already a master assassin, I expect him to be good at those things. <laughs> you know, that's that, that's like that's dude. You have one job. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be worried if you weren't good at that. Whereas Ezio, like I said, we start as nothing, just a simple teenager, and we learn these skills with him. And I think it's more about that you're both as player and character going on that journey together which makes it more engaging throughout and I think the all the engagingness of the Edstock games is one of the best but and I'm going to bring up what I've been discussing with the ones who came before and this isn't exactly word for word what they told me would best to say but it's a rough idea Atio himself and with AC2 give you that much immersion. It is kind of hard in the other games for a lot of fans to see how great the others have been. Now, this isn't like a criticism because I understand how epic Atio is to me. I simply love him. But it has come to an age where a lot of people look back at AC2 and think he's better than everything because of the immersion they got. And I think Ubisoft need to capture the same immersion they give Ezio for others to fall in love with others because we're about nine games more since number two and a lot of people overshadow them for Ezio. And I think that's because of the joyful nature he was before he became an assassin. And maybe it's that magic we're maybe missing from other games. But that's not me knocking the other games. I'm a diehard fan for all of them. But I do think how they built Etio, it has overshadowed some of the games by accident. Yeah, I think it's not uncommon, though. I think it's... You never know when something's going to be a monumental success. And when you set the bar that high, you're always chasing it, and more often than not, chasing the success often leads to failure. And it's, it's more a case of... Don't go into it thinking, let's try and make another Etio because that's not going to work. Ezio works because it's a one one thing that just happened and it was wonderful. You just need to take the brakes off of it and just get... just In a, in a sense, it's kind of like, forget, forget Ezio existed. Just go back to trying to write the best characters you can write. Start a blank. So how uh, Valhalla is going for... We know how the games worked. Let's 
go back to everything. Let's do some social stuff from one. Let's take the villa and the um, homestead from three. Let's make it better. Let's give them the RPG that had an Origins, but a bit more thought out. Let's give them parkour from three again. So it's that kind of compromise, you know. Let's start something new, but also yeah, old. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's like with the best will in the world, you will always be compared to the best game you've done or what is generally considered to be some of the best games you've done or the best character. When CD Projekt Red released the next Witcher game, that's only ever going to be compared to The Witcher 3. Which makes sense. (laughs) Because because we're going to compare it to The Witcher 3. With the best will in the world, we're going to compare it to that. And every new Assassin's Creed game will generally always get compared to people's personal favourites. It's just the nature of the beast, and I just don't see... We can't we can't all win, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm not one... I think everybody who I've ever talked to who shines such a, a bright light on Ezio, to me, is right in the way of how Ezio was built. It is to this day, one of the most immersive characters because when you play the others, like um, Edward, who Edward Cameron, who's one of my favourites as well as Ezio, he's similar, but because his game is one game, you don't get the same immersion as you get from Ezio because he did have an outstanding trilogy. You know, Brewerhood with the Brewerhood mechanics was amazing. Um, Revelations with that weird tower defence game, but still was enjoyable. You know, he had such a fleshed out story. To me, there is no denying Ezio isn't one of the best. And there's no denying you're always going to compare it. And I think it's healthy to compare it because sometimes you need that remembrance of how great these games can truly be if you have the right consistency of story yeah, and yeah, gameplay. Um, and I, th- I think what they did brilliantly with Assassin's Creed 2 was the kind of actual design of the game itself. You know, all the cities just felt more fleshed out, more believable. You know, they even came with, you know, a a historical database you can access every time you come across a new person or a new landmark that just immerses you so much in this world that they're trying to tell. You know, and again, contributing to immersion is that each city had its own unique feel and character to it. You know, they didn't feel and, the same. They felt different enough. I think this is also just proves, and it's something we're seeing more and more as they go along, that how Ubisoft is doing something, a lot of games try it, I'm not going to lie, I've seen tons of games try and take history and add their own take on them, but Ubisoft seems to be the only game that knows how to make history, a game of history, learnable, but also entertain you. And it's a weird concept that you're playing Assassin's Creed 2, stabbing up dudes in Renaissance Italy, but you see that chapel, you see that mm, building, exactly. it's legit, this is what happened. And I think... I'm not, I do love number one, but number one never had that immersion. We knew all the stuff and it was historically accurate as it could be. But I think 
two to me is one of those benchmarks where we had the in-game encyclopedia which has now evolved to discovery mode we had so little details and even supporting characters were given huge shining light well, that's yeah, a shout out I to mean, leonardo you know the game had good supporting characters that helped push the story along despite some would argue the nonsensical kind of nature of some of them but i think whether you agree with the inclusion of leonardo da vinci as a character in the game or not he is infinitely more memorable than any side character in assassin's creed 1 without a doubt whether you yes. agree with him being in it or <laughs> he not he was funny he's a good side character and entertaining and memorable and that's that's as important to me as whoever you whatever side character you create, they should be memorable and they should be there for a reason. So, one thing I want to start adding, which was a request of a friend before we do our roundup and scores, why don't we add a new little piece? Uh, we should have done it last week, but I forgot because I'm a numpty. But we'll do a memorable section of the game because... I love number two, and I'm not being real, I'm going to say I love all of them because I do, but my most memorable moment for me has to be when you take the blade to Leonardo and he threatens <laughs> to cut off your finger, and you actually think he's going to cut off his finger, and he's just like, nah, mate, I've just uh, retweaked it to the codex, so it doesn't have to cut off your finger, and that sticks in my head because it's kind of a funny moment, like, so unexpected <laughs> and random. Um. I think for me, I enjoyed the missions with Christina. I think they showed, they gave the character a heart that up to that point we didn't necessarily think he had. He wasn't just randomly jumping from bed to bed, he actually did have a heart for this woman. A bit soppy, but there you go. See, Alex, your boy is a true. <laughs> he's a true Casanova. Well, he settles down with. Um, spoiler alert! Yeah. Uh, I think it's Maria in Revelations, and she's just a lonely bookshop woman. Which I'm not being rude. It's like mm. the fantasy of most rom coms out there. Lonely woman in a bookstore <laughs> meets a man. I think Beauty and the Beast, but it's more assassin and librarian. <laughs> Can't knock it because it's one of the coolest. Revelations is one of the coolest, weirdest games at the same time. It's a hook and it's a blade. <laughs> How does it actually work? <laughs> We're going to go, when we get to Revelations, and not next week, but the week after, that is my highlight because I can never work out how a hook blade can stab dudes, not hook them, but be a zipline. Because if the blade can be broken by a sword, can hold a fully grown man then why is it getting broken by a sword? Video games. <laughs> what? So, I mean, we've Logic. Positive. Was there anything about Assassin's Creed 2 that you didn't like or you weren't overly fond of? Um, yes, actually. Um, I try to keep the side, side hidden but a lot of the games do give me negative feelings and even though the game was very good, I still find uh, I haven't played the, um, the updated version, the collection, so I don't know if it got changed. 
but I still found mm. a lot of the controls clunky. There was a lot of times back on PS3 where I would hold R2 and press circle to counter, but the response yeah. time was a bit delayed by a few seconds, and that would always be nuts. Oh, and the worst one was when you want to get to the highest viewpoint you want to get, and you can see the jump, and you press up and jump, and he jumps sideways and falls off. That annoyed the sugar lumps out of me for ages, because I know he could reach it, he's scaled half the building already, but now the controls are failing, <laughs> and he just jumps to his death anyways, and <laughs> that caused me to scream at the TV hundreds of times. Just like, I think it's done. Um, uh, how about you? Nothing major. Um, one thing that I always found a bit immersion breaking for me was in places you get pretty exaggerated Italian accents. They do throw, you know, genuine Italian <laughs> words and in there for good measure. The accents aren't terrible, you know, I've heard worse. But as someone who comes from an Italian family, they are can be quite unrealistic. <laughs> Um, uh, and I guess another thing which was was an issue I had with the first game as well the game does offer alternatives to kind of out and out combat you know you've got stealth assassinations poisoning, smoke bombs hay bales like the first game you know outside of you know doing the more stealthy stuff is fun and it does add variety never felt like any of it was really necessary I think once you once you know what, what I just think once you know oh, the, going, <laughs> the combat is just easy enough that no other option is kind of as a efficient enough use of your time. I could spend twenty minutes stealthily killing all these guards so they don't know that I'm here, or I could just round them up and kill them all in three minutes. <laughs> again there's no there's no risk that would deter me from just going you know in there guns blazing (laughs) and i think that's that was an issue with the first and it's always going to be an issue with stealth focused games or games that try to feature stealth to make it viable you have to make it the easier option that takes longer but it's worth your time it's just not (laughs) the risk is not worth the reward that's pretty much it in terms of what I didn't like Uh, so not a massive amount (laughs) which is you know it's fair but stabbing people on a rooftop is still hella fun (laughs) but after a while I just I don't why would I why would I spend the time So, let's do what we did last week, a roundup of the scores. Um, as you all know, it's uh, out of 10. Um, if Josh isn't able to make it, I'll be doing it solo. <laughs> Scary, because I might get in trouble for my comments. But we'll be giving it 10. So, uh, we'll let Josh go first with his out of 5, and then so I'll do mine, and then we'll add him up. 2, for me, gets a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I think it's um, very generous. You know, it's all round a very good game. Took everything the first game did and Im- kind of improved on it and added new things. 
uh, to make it worth your time going for another run in the Assassin's Creed universe. And looking back on them, you know, the second game really makes Assassin's Creed 1 feel like that that was a practice attempt. You know, and that was them figuring out, is this worth doing? Now, let's turn let's dial it up to 11 and go for it. So, yeah, four or five from me. I'm going to say 4.5. I love it. I'm a huge fan. Uh, half a point off because, yes, I got so annoyed at the jarring controls at times. And I really hated how you could get them all in a group of cluster. But if the controls want to hate you, you're just going to die. And it's so frustrating. You just try to hardest and you're just dead. And it's like, ugh. And I've just kind of realized I'm being very overgenerous with my scores. But I promise, starting next week, because I like Brotherhood, but it's not going to be a very high scorer. <laughs> There's reasons for this. But it's all we've got time for. So Thanks, signing guys. off. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>